Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Of Easter. It's so much more than eggs and bunnies. And it's so much more than just family traditions, or maybe you get together as a family and you have a meal and you, you, you just ha- you have a tradition. There is something that happened on Easter Sunday that changed everything. And if you haven't figured it out, He has risen, and He has risen indeed. That's something that we need to be so mindful of. But, you know, we have to realize that Jesus' resurrection, do you realize that the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message? Did you know that if there is no resurrection, we have no hope in this life? What are you talking about, Pastor Noe? If Jesus did not raise from the dead, when we die, we just die and that's the end. But if he raised from the dead, then we can have the hope that we will raise also. Amen? Hallelujah? That's good stuff? No? It's like, man, thank God, right? So we have to realize that he was who he said he was, that he did what he said he would do. And he, is the, he was the son of the living God. He wasn't just any ordinary man that was just trying to be good. He was God's own son, sent in the flesh to redeem the world. So in John 19, 17 through 42, if you look at that whole passage, it really covers Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and, and, and his burial. We see, we see all of these things. You know, so when we talk about the crucifixion, I was thinking about... You know, in order for us to really appreciate Resurrection Sunday, I want us to just look back a little bit on what began to happen on Friday. Now, I hope some of you kind of thought about that, and it wasn't just a busy, every same old, same old kind of weekend, but we thought about what Jesus was doing. I know KSBJ does a great little following. Like, if you text them, they'll send you the play-by-play of what was happening as he began to make his way to the cross. But if we look back just a little bit, and the crucifixion, you know, you know, we have to realize that the crucifixion that Jesus suffered was, was punishment reserved for the lowest kind of criminals. It wasn't something that was easy. It wasn't something that was convenient. Do you realize that no Roman citizen, and this is who was doing the crucifying, no Roman citizen could actually be crucified? That was the rule, even though I'm sure there were some exceptions to the rule, Right? If you were a Roman citizen and you got crucified, it was bad, bad. But yet this is the kind of death that Jesus died. You know, today we think of the cross as a symbol of glory and victory. But in Jesus' day, the cross stood for the worst kind of rejection, shame, and suffering. One thing is for sure, you know, the, the bearing of the cross was the mark of guilt. But we have to realize that Jesus was not guilty. But yet... He had, to t- he had to receive someone who was guilty type of punishment. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the NIV. So, well, starting in 17 through 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It says, The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, where we therefore are Christ's ambassadors through God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In verse 21, the magnitude of this, of this passage, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize that if Jesus sinned, that the, that the, the punishment for sin would not be paid? The, the, the punishment for sin had to be a pure, spotless, sinless sacrifice. Even in the Old Testament, you couldn't bring a lamb that was wounded or injured or with disease. You had to bring a pure, spotless lamb. And that's what God sent. He sent His Son. You have to realize that, that, God, that, that God sent Jesus birthed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it gets, say with me, don't get lost, right? He was birthed by the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with Jesus. So he was born of the Spirit in a woman, born a man, but yet sent from God. Right? You think, think about this. I mean, this is something you see in a movie and it doesn't make sense, but this is what God did because... The sacrifice had to be spotless, had to be pure. Amen? So we have to realize that Jesus was sinless. Because if you think Jesus sinned, then there's no restitution for your sin. But if he was spotless and clean, the price for your life was paid in full. So think about that for a moment. God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. He bore our sin. He bore our shame on that cross so we wouldn't have to. You know, each of us deserve to be on that cross, not Jesus. If you want to say who was guilty, point right here, just for a moment. Pastor, are you judging me? No, I'm just telling you the truth. We were all sinful, deserving of death. But yet God in His mercy decided to send His Son for us so that we wouldn't have to die. That we would be re-reconciled to God. That's what that passage is talking about. So righteousness, we have to understand, is in right standing with God. It's about being right before God, not because of what we have done or, or haven't done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. Righteousness has nothing to do with me being perfect. But it has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. What he did was perfect and allows me to be in right standing with God as a believer my whole life. Now, I know a lot of us, we walk up, you know, or let's say we've made some bad choices. Anybody ever made bad choices? And if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, right? You know, we've all made poor choices. We've all made, some people say, I got two hands up, right? You know, we've made poor choices, but we realize that when we receive salvation, we are saturated with the blood of Christ, where it says, I can now boldly come before his throne of grace with confidence, just as if I've never sinned. Can you wrap your mind around that? He sees us spotless and clean and holy and righteous in right standing with God. He said, Pastor Noah, if you knew what I did, the Father knew what you were going to do. That's why he sent the Son to pardon those sins. But when you come before his throne of grace, you can come in with confidence because you are covered by the blood. It's like my kiddos when they were little. You know, they play with your coats and different things like that. And I got, I have been, I'm a big dude, so my kids will get completely covered up by the coats that they put on sometimes. 
My son's getting bigger, and he's like, Dad, look, it fits. No, it don't fit yet, buddy. Don't get too big for your britches. But my little girls, if I were to get, like, my big hunting coat or my big, you know, big long jacket, and I place it over them, it completely covers them. Where I almost don't see them, but I see the covering. And that's what the blood did. When Father God looks at us, He sees the blood of Christ. He doesn't see our sin or our guilt. He sees the forgiveness. He sees the shedding of blood, and that makes us right before God. Amen? And I'm preaching pretty good this morning. I ain't even, I'm still on the first page. All right. We got to realize that He reconciled us to the Father. You know, Jesus came and laid down His life as a bridge to the Father. Did you know that there was a gap that could not be filled? You can try a lifetime to get to God, but there's only one way to God, and that's the Son. Okay, so the word reconcile here actually means to change thoroughly in regards to our relationship with God and the lost world. So we have to realize that the cross, it literally, really changed everything. I didn't have to offer sacrifices anymore. I didn't have to worry about my sin and my right standing of God. You know, I always think about in the Old Testament when they had to take the sacrifice to the altar. You know, let's, let's say Jim Bob messed up really bad, so he has this lamb over his shoulder, and he's walking to the altar. He trips, he, hits it, he falls, he hits his head, and he dies. Well, he didn't yet make restitution for that sin. So did Jim Bob make it to heaven or not? We don't have to worry about that in this new covenant of grace, this, this new covenant under the blood of Jesus. We have to realize that the blood fixes everything we've done, everything we will do, and everything we will do. Past, present, and future. You realize that? Covers our whole life. The cross really, really changed everything. You know, Jesus carried the cross and he instructs us to do likewise. To be a follower of Christ, we have to know that our life is no longer our own, but we must willingly surrender and lose our life to find it for Christ's name's sake. Matthew 16, 24 through 27, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple. So if he asks you today, that's what he's saying. Whoever wants to be my disciple, here are the conditions that he begins to map out. He says, You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Verse 25, it says, For whoever wants to lose their life or save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. Then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, this wasn't talking about the resurrection. This is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just like the earth shook and everything changed and everybody knew what happened... It says, when Jesus comes back, it will be a sound of a mighty trumpet. And you will know when the King of Kings has shown up. But what does it say? Each of us will be what? Rewarded according to what they've done. The other side of that coin, though, is maybe what you haven't done. Okay? So when we realize that what Jesus uh, has done for us, if we, if, we, if we think about it, looking at what Jesus did for you. Now, I know some of you may be having a hard time connecting this personally this morning. You say, well, okay, Pastor Noe, I understand that Jesus did that for you as a pastor. You're a good guy. You're a pastor. 
You don't know me, guys. You don't know the real me. I got sin too, but God's covered it. I just understand the blood and the forgiveness. But I'm, I'm a human just like you are. There's, there's weaknesses, there's strengths. Just because you're a pastor doesn't exempt you from living the real raw life. Right? But some of you this morning say, well, Pastor Noe, that's cool that he did that for you, but you've got to make the connection of making it personal this morning and realizing that Christ didn't just die for Pastor Noe, but he died for you. Because now it makes it personal. But if you will understand that as he was on the cross, as he stretched his hand, as his blood was being poured out, that he was mindful and he was thinking of you, you have to realize that when, when you realize what he has done for you, it makes it easier and worth surrendering your life to him. I mean, I can trust somebody that I know and that, that, that his heart is for me and that he cares for me. This is who Jesus is. You know, when I realize who Jesus is, to me it makes no sense why you would reject him or not want to follow him. You know how many stupid things we follow anyway? And you got no problem following those things. Let me pull your Instagram feed up or your Facebook page. Let's see who you follow. Way less credible than Jesus, I promise. But yet we are actively seeing what they're doing, focusing on what they're doing. Ooh, I'm a follower. And oh, you've made it big time if they follow you back, right? All kinds of crazy, right? But I tell you, you can trust Jesus today with your life. If you've never made that choice, it's one of the most important choices you will ever make. Okay? Think about this for a minute. What is the most significant or meaningful thing that someone has ever done for you? Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was a kind word. Maybe, maybe it was even something of greater sacrifice. But, you know, what, what is something that, you know, you've been the biggest measure of something that somebody's done for you? Now, I know some people say, well, my mama, she gave birth to me. My mom always likes to pull that card anytime she needs something. <laughs> well, I gave birth to you. I said, well, yeah, but... I'm not talking about that because every, every mom is worthy of that praise. But what is something else besides birth of utmost importance that somebody, that somebody has either given you or done for you that, that, is, that is measurable? Got any examples? What's something that you've received? Maybe something tangible. Nothing. I never got nothing free. You paid for everything? Any ever, anybody ever get a car given to them? Man, I got a handful of those, right? How about, a, how about a guitar or an instrument? Anybody ever got you one of those? How about a pair of shoes? Come on, help me a little bit. What's, what's something of, of, of big importance that somebody's given you? A kid? Adoption, that's a big deal, right? Yep. A keyboard? Any, has anybody, what you got? Building, so a home. Ooh, okay. So we just stepped it up. <laughs> and everybody said, amen, Lord, I'll take one of those made to order also. You know, I reach out there, I'll take it, Lord. You know, say, I don't know what Pastor Noe said, but he said I can have a house if I want it. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. But if we realize the things that are most important. So Jesus actually shows us, or God shows us in his word, he says, look, this is what it is. You know, the greatest gift of even greatest sacrifice God says is measured the greatest kind of love. So in John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, dot, 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 the anticipation. This is what it is to lay down one's life for, his, for, for one of his friends. 
1 John 3.16 then goes on to say, This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's a selfless, sacrificial life for those that you love. Now, if that doesn't, in parentheses, say mom next to it, I don't know what it is, right? Because we see, that we see those characteristics in our moms, right? Amen? Appreciate you, moms. Let's give all the moms in the room a hand clap. It ain't Mother's Day, but... But, it's, it's, it, but I see that, that selfless act. You know, my mom always gave us so much stuff, and I was like, Mom, why are you spending so much money? And then she cries about it the next few months that she's broke. But she wanted us to feel loved and appreciated. And I was like, but is it worth it? It was for the one day. And then they, you know, whatever. But that selfless act. But it says, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. And this is what Jesus did. Do you realize that Christ chose to lay down his life for you and I? So he loved us and cared for us even while we were still sinners and far away from God. That's Romans 5, 8 if you're taking notes. So during Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, do you realize that he spoke seven times while he was on the cross? Okay, so he, he was on the cross from nine in the morning till three in the evening, and he spoke seven times. Let's look at what he said, because sometimes your last words are your most important words that you will speak. If you're a talker, hopefully they pay attention to what you said at the end. And say, hey, he just talks all the time. We don't want to listen, right? But what did Jesus say? Let's look at this. Number one, he said, Father, forgive them. That was what was on his mind. That was what was on his heart. He said, he said to, the, to the prisoner on his right or his left, whichever side, the one that, that got it, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He said, woman, behold your son. And then at this moment, there was three hours of darkness and Jesus was completely silent. According to scholars. I wasn't there, so I can't vouch for it, but I'm believing what the scholars say is correct. Then he says, I thirst, which was to fulfill prophecy. Then he says, my favorite part, it is finished. So at this moment, and then, then, he, then he spreads his arms and he says, Father, into your hands I release my spirit. And that was it. He breathed his last. But it wasn't the end. It is finished. It has so much significance. You know, as I was looking at, at all of this, I, I want us to really celebrate the resurrection, but do we realize the magnitude of what happened in the earth just when Jesus died? There was power released in the earth when he died. This is what it says in Matthew 27, 51 through 54. The moment he died, this wasn't the resurrection yet, guys. we got to see the big picture of everything happening. It says, at that moment, moment when he said it is, it is finished and he breathed his last, he said, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Verse 54, when the centurion and those that were with him were guarding Jesus, they saw the earthquake and all that happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So at that moment of his final last words, it is finished. This power was released into the face of the earth. 
So we see as this happened, when he said, it is finished, the curtain was torn. The power of God was released through the sun into the earth. It shook, the rock split, tombs were broke open. So we have to realize the curtain was torn. You know what happened when the curtain was torn? There was no more need for temples, priests, altars, or sacrifices. Jesus had finished the work of salvation on the cross. Jesus had once and for all conquered sin. You realize you don't have to come to me to find God? That was a whole way of thinking. Well, let's go to the priest. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get them to pray for me. And I still hear that a lot. Pastor, pray for me. Were you praying? Well, no, I can't pray. What do you mean you can't pray? When that veil was torn, but you realize what happened? It says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. How the heck do you get to the top of the curtain? And I think that that was the point. Because no man could tear that curtain, but God tore it from the top down in the, in the death of His Son. Okay? So there was, no, there was no more need for temples, priests, or sacrifices. Jesus had once and for all conquered sin. So the earthquake at Calvary, it, it really signified the demands of the law being met and the curse of law forever being abolished. There's a lot of stuff in the law, and we still apply it, and there's still great principles, but do you realize it's severed? That being tied to the law, instead of a gospel of the law, we now live under a gospel of grace because of what Jesus did. And finally, the resurrection proves that He defeated death. He defeated it, okay? So we realize that the power was released. Do you realize that this power was released just from His death on the cross But Jesus' story wasn't over. Let's look at the Gospel of John and see what happened three days later. So up to this point, all this cool stuff already happened. He didn't even raise from the dead. And I said, man, this is cool stuff. I'd already follow him. Amen, right? You know, but it gets better three days later. Let's see what happens. So I'm going to look at John 21 through 18 in the NIV. I'm going to read all the way through this passage. Say, all of it, Pastor Noah? Yeah, stick with me because I really don't want to leave out anything, but I want to share it in its entirety. So it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So, so she, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter. I guess Peter wasn't that fast, but he got there when he got there. And they reached the tomb first. Verse 5, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind them and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, verse 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in place, separated from the linen. So real quick, let me pause as I keep reading this. So you have to realize that the cloth for the head was carefully rolled up and set to the ne- next to the other linens. Which really looks like, hmm, somebody tampered with it. But if we look, if we look at these, the, the grave clothes that, that, that were undamaged, it almost appears like Jesus passed through them kind of resurrection-like. They were untampered with. Do you realize that you know, there was times that there were grave robbers, which the grave robbers would come and they would, they would breach the grave and they would actually ransack the bodies. And, but do you realize that for them to remove the grave clothes would have made a mess? Because of the spices and how, how, they, how they put the bodies, I mean, you would have had to tear, it would have looked like a horror scene. 
But yet everything was laid just as they laid it, but yet the body was gone. Okay? Let's keep going in verse 8. It says, Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. But let's look at this in verse 9. It says, And they still did not understand from Scriptures that Jesus had raised from the dead. This always amazes me in Scripture when Jesus tells you something and you just don't get it. Sounds like me, amen? They still didn't understand. I said I was going to raise from the dead. Why are you still? You just don't get it. But, it, but it start, in verse 10 it says, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So they just went home. They just went back. They didn't know what else to do. Verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So she was the only one, I guess, that loved Jesus because she stayed there. I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do. He's gone. We don't know what to do. We don't know where he went. It didn't enlighten yet that he had raised from the dead. But Mary stays there grieving. And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. So sometimes when we stay near and we keep drawing and we keep pressing in, we will sometimes see things that other people don't see. Sometimes pressing in just a little bit further will get you a better glimpse of the glory and the goodness of what God wants to reveal that day. I believe that there's some of you here this morning that maybe you got a good glimpse of what God looks like this morning already. And there's some of you here maybe this morning, if you will press in just a little bit, you will see what Mary saw. So she saw two angels in white seated, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And then she still responds, they have taken the Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. I don't know if he, she was looking at his sandals. I don't know what she was looking at, but to not realize, recognize the face of her Savior. So then what happens uh, the, he asked her, he said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? I just think Jesus is just smiling ear to ear at this point. And she has not yet realized what was happening. And this is what it says. Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you, where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. So she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Jesus calls your name, how will you respond? How will you respond? He's calling each of your name this morning. As he stretched his arms to the left and the right of that cross, he knew you by name. As the blood spilled, as the mother and the, and the ladies and the disciples grieved, he knew that in three days it was all going to be worth it. So Jesus said, do not hold on to me. So you see what happened here. Mary immediately, when she saw him, she grabbed a hold of him and did not want to let go. But let's listen to these words of what he said. He says, he says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So he's beginning to tie all these loose ends, all this revelation, all this understanding. We're getting to the end of the story. And so Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them and, and, and said these things, the things that they had told her. So do you realize that in the other Gospels that they act, the disciples are actually told uh, 
uh, or Mary's told, hey, tell the disciples to go to Galilee. I was trying to weave all these stories together, but each of the Gospels have a little bit different take on the story. But they are all uniquely intertwined. But if, if we look at Matthew 26, 32, this is before Jesus died. He says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He told them that before he died. He dies. He raises from the dead. He tells Mary, go tell them again. I told them I will meet them in Galilee. So let's keep cruising. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So I guess at some point the disciples figured it out. They said, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and you've heard this, the Great Commission, you've heard this passage. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. John 20, 21 through 23, I believe this was all in the same occurrence. He says, And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So it's kind of talking about the same thing, the commissioning, the sending. It says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if, if, you're for, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. For if you do not forgive them, then you are not forgiven. So he begins to release this authority. But he says that before the Holy Spirit had been given. He says, I, I, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As I was reading that, I said, how in the world are they going to receive the Holy Spirit when he's still hanging out with them? You know, so, you know, can, you know, in faith, you know, what Jesus did all through Scripture, he was going to tell you what was going to happen and that it was going to come to pass a certain way so that when it happened, you would know that it was true. There was prophecy and there was the fulfillment of the prophecy. There was prophecy and there was fulfillment of the prophecy. There was prophecy, there was fulfillment of the prophecy, and then there was reminding of the prophecy that was being fulfilled. Because we can't remember anything. I think about it. We forget what the Lord has told us many times. And we need to be reminded of the story. We need to be reminded of what God said he would do. Because when he does it, we need to glorify God and be mindful that it's, he did it because he said he was going to do it. He's good because that's his nature. He forgives because he desires to and because he can. He conquered death, hell, and the grave because he's God. We have to understand the authority of who God is, the authority that he released to the Son, but it doesn't stop there. He also gave us that authority. So we see this whole story of where Jesus took on flesh. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And now, he, now we're in the process of where he is explaining to us what's going to happen. He's back from the grave. He's talking to the disciples. Mary tried to grab a hold of him. He said, no, don't hold on to me. I have yet not been glorified. I have not yet to, went to my Father. And he meets with the disciples and he gives them some uh, guidance and he commissions them. Luke 24, 45 through 49. I think this is where a lot of us are at maybe today. It says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Amen. We need that. Open my mind, Lord, so I can understand the scriptures. Verse 46. So just in case they didn't get it, he says it one more time. And this is what he told them. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning first in Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. 
But it says, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, we're going to keep cruising. We're going through the Gospels. Now we're going to get to Acts. Acts 1, 3 through 5. So this is right when Jesus leaves and, you know, he, fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're, I'm really trying to bridge the story. I'm giving you a whole lot of history all in a nutshell, right? So we started in Passion Week. We're working through it. And now we're at this place in Acts 1, 3 through 5. And it says, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, this is Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Let me pause there just for a minute. Jesus will convince you of his, of his existence if you will let him. You will find him if you seek for him. You can have him if you ask for him. There's conditions that have to be met, though. You have to look. You have to seek. But I believe that you will find but he will, he will give many convincing proofs that he was alive, even in our life today. So then he keeps on going. He says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem. So he's being redundant. Stay there. Don't leave. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay there until you're clothed with power. He says, but stay in Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about, verse 5, and this is what he's talking about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But in John 20, 17, we have to realize that he says, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Mary, do not hold on to me. At the end of this 40 days, he had to complete the work. He had to complete it. So we have to realize that at that moment, we were drawing very, very close to the end of everything Jesus was going to do. We'll look at one more passage from Revelations 1, 17 through 18. You realize Revelations is the last book of the Bible. It talks a lot, a lot about the end time things. But in verse 17 it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last now, now some, of the, some, some people may say, are we talking about God? Are we talking about Jesus? Who are we talking about? Verse 18 gives us enlightenment to that. It says, I am the living one. I was dead. Who do you think he's talking about? Right on. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. We get to the end of this story where God goes, where God welcomes Jesus in to sit at his right hand, making intercession for us, praying for us, being that mediator between God and man. And we see the purpose of Jesus fulfilled. So, Pastor Noe, that's what Easter is all about. Well, Easter is really all about him getting up out of the grave. But there's so much more than just him getting up out of the grave. He didn't just raise from the dead and give you a high five and say, awesome. It was to fulfill a purpose and to give us a life today that would be like no other. A hope and a promise that we can worship and we can glorify and we can serve a risen Savior. You know, there's many denominations that worship men that never got out of that grave. You can go to the tomb. I guess if you wanted to, if they would let you. Sure, you could dig, 
and you'd find the remains of what was there. But when the disciples showed up, when Mary showed up, they saw a tomb that was rolled, the stone was rolled away. And Christ had risen. Just as he said he would. Why do you search for the living among the dead? He's not here. He rose just like he said he would. So the story of Easter focuses on Jesus' resurrection. But without resurrection, you don't have the gospel. So I'm going to map out everything I talked about. He said, Pastor, no, you gave me an earful. I can't even keep up. Hey, if you can't keep up, watch our podcast. Go back and listen to it again. Chew on it. But I hope that today as we go out after this and we're doing eggs, that you would go out and you'd see the sunshine hitting you on the shoulders, the warmth, the cool breeze. You would see the beauty all around you. And you would know that there was a King of kings and a Lord of lords that breathed all of it into existence. And just as we watch our children run around with joy and find pleasure in what they do, realize that Father God finds that same pleasure in you. You know, kids don't have to do a lot to get their parents' joy. They don't. Something that's undeserved, but yet is freely given. So his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then finally his glorification to the right hand of God, which releases in our lives... Salvation, transformation, and impartation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. This is the complete work of salvation. I'm going to say that one more time. Is that kind of... I'm going to say it one more time real quick. His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and finally His glorification to the right hand of God, which releases His salvation, His transformation, and impartation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. This is the complete work of salvation in our lives. So this is why we celebrate the Resurrection Sunday and why it is so exciting. Jesus completed all the work that His Father in heaven was wanting Him to do. He was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He is alive and well. He is risen, and He is risen indeed. You guys stand to your feet with me. <laughs> He's alive and well. We serve a living God. Is Becky sending the kids back in here? Okay, thank God. I was like, I thought I missed something there. I was like, uh-oh. Okay. In a closing question, because I don't want us just to leave this place and say, Pastor, that was a good sermon, but I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you know him? Pastor, who are you, who are you talking about? My friend that invited me? No, I'm talking about Jesus. Everything he said he would do, he did. Everything that he promised has come to pass. You know, faith unto salvation is just believing in that. That Jesus died. That he forgives. That he wants your heart. That he wants you. And all it takes is an act of surrender saying, Lord, here I am. You know, some of you in this room are running. Even though you're standing, you are running from God. So I hate these altar call things. I feel so like... Oh, like he's talking just to me. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.